everybody. This is Ray Renati, and you've reached Green Room on Air. How you doing? And this whole new uh, video casting thing is a challenge. I did audio for so long, and now I'm trying to do the video. It's taking me hours and hours. God! You know, I have a friend, sort of a friend. His name is Carell. And uh, he used to be on KGO Radio here in San Francisco, and... Uh, he does all of his podcasts on video and audio every single day. And somehow, I think he does in about his processing in about 10 minutes, literally, which has taken me two or three days to figure out. Man, I feel bad because I did this great interview, which you're going to hear in a couple of minutes, with these wonderful people. And I told them I was going to have this up a couple of days ago and... <laughs> Ain't, ain't happening, but I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer, Daddy. So, uh, yeah, how you doing? Watch the debates last night. The fly on Pence's head. That was awesome. I mean, what more, what better theater can you get than that, huh? Right when he's talking about how uh, there's no such thing as racism in the Trump White House. <laughs> The fly lands on him. How do you know there's a Trumpist in the room? Ooh, look for where the flies are landing. Bottom bump. I made that up myself this morning when I woke up. Popped into my head. That's the kind of that's the kind of comedian I am. So, green room on air. In case you don't know, this is a show which uh, talks about everything entertainment. Mostly, I focus on theater in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I talk to people all over the world, and today is no exception. My uh, my guests this week are three stalwarts of American TV and film. They've done everything from working on Dallas and Knott's Landing. Remember those TV shows? They've uh, been recognized with uh, Emmy nominations. They've worked with Academy Award-winning uh, nominated actors like... and. Winning at nominated actors like Adrian Brody and nominated like Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Love both those people. Um, their latest venture is the development of a brand new Broadway show, which takes us back in history to the abdication of the British throne. Set in pre-World War II, 1930s London, the musical brings us into the lives of two royal brothers. And it's a true story. One who gives up the throne for the woman he loves, the other who must take his brother's place in history by embracing the throne with the support of his majestic wife. And he becomes one of Britain's most beloved kings, or beloved kings, whatever you prefer. And the musical is called Wallace and Windsor. Now... Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Christopher Caliendo, Jenny Bross, and Eric Bross. Yeah, I've been listening to the music. Fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's really fun. It's a fun project. I'd love to hear more about, who you know, you, world's finest, world's best. What was that? What does your coffee cup say? Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, my kids gave me World's, world's best, best farter. I mean, father. <laughs> my my five year old's right below me down here. Uh, he <laughs> yeah. Today's National Coffee Day. 
Is oh, it? it is? Yeah. So I'm having two cups instead of one. I'm having Zevia. <laughs> I'm having this mushroom coffee. It has, it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty good. Well, is there I, any coffee if, in it? Mushrooms, it's mushrooms and coffee. It's mushrooms oh, and coffee. Okay. It's not shrooms. It's not shrooms. I remember those days. I've never partaken. I've often thought of it, though. This is being recorded. You are not allowed to use that, by the way. I don't know. Hold on. I need a headset, but I guess I don't. Sound great. So thank you. I was, how about I'm actually on my computer? The last couple of things that we did... For some reason, I was having issues getting my internet, and I had to borrow somebody's yeah, somebody else's name under my face. Tell me about what you have behind you, Jenny. Is that a poster that I don't know about? No, this is actually a painting that I did when I got the original idea for the poster. Um, this is just the prototype, which we know how it ended up, but I, we sent this. I gave this to Eric, um, to the artist, to look at, but yeah. we ended up not doing this exact thing. What we ended up with, we like better because this was just, it was, it, 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 it didn't have the, um, the clarity that the other one does for me. Like when I glance at the imagery, I want to get it right away. And even though this is fun, this is more of the, the, you know, it's yeah, it's just a prototype. Yeah, imagine what that's going to be worth if we get this to Broadway. Well, you know what I, but the funny part is I just, you know, I had a, a little tiny, you know, canvas lying around. I didn't want to do a huge one because it's very time consuming to replicate the British flag. You'd think it would be easy, but, and I didn't want to have to do a real big one. So I thought I'll just do a little tiny thing. And I did more than I. Oh, Eric's been trying to get in and I didn't let him in. Whoops. <laughs> I didn't realize. Uh, I didn't know I had a waiting room. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. I, I, uh, oh. I never do that. I don't know why it's set up like that. I'm glad have you been in there a long time? <laughs> I have been waiting forever. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. How you doing, Ray? Good Great. to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, too. Is this, are we all met, as Shakespeare would say? I know him. We are all well met. I have got the, uh, I have got the worst screen. I'm just going to try to clean it off here. Hang on. Okay. Eric and I are like Irish twins. We're literally a year apart almost to the day. Like my parents were probably, you know, getting it on on their anniversary in April because the first three children, uh, you, you understand I'm January the 15th. My older brother's January the 17th and he's January 21st. I'm just saying. Wow. A pattern develops. Yes. You betcha. We're all Januaries. That's incredible. Wait, you're January too, Ray? No, no, I'm November 8th. Oh, November what? Hey. Okay. Hey, then yeah, you yeah. are a Libra. No, I right. am a Scorpio. You're a Scorpio. Scorpio. You're right yeah. after. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. So January, what is that? What, what? Capricorn. Capricorn. And then Aquarius. That's right. Yeah. So Ray, where are you now? I'm in Palo Alto, California, near San Francisco. Uh, that, that, oh. Los Altos is where our uh, our cousins live. I thought he was oh. in the Chrysler Building in New York with that building. Yeah. <laughs> That that's the Trans America building. Yeah, Trans America. But but this America. is a green screen with a fake picture. Is it really? No. Yeah, because otherwise you see a really uh, uh, yeah. Otherwise, I have this white uh, panel thing, 
And I have white hair, so if I, uh, well, let me see if it happens. Oh yeah, see, I can become uh, a racer head. So um, that's a good like one, man. That's good. I like it. You like the eraser? Beautiful look? hair. Yeah. I, like it. I don't. So I wear this hat <laughs> because I have a skylight. It just does something weird there. You know, your cool. outline looks terrific. That you would never know that was a green. Yeah, screen. I thought that was real, man. I, I think yeah, the, the lighting awful. coming behind you is really. <laughs> uh match as well well it's even that's the thing yeah. I, I noticed with the green screen because it's kind of overcast today so the light is even but if it comes through my uh my skylight with a lot of sun oh. the green screen doesn't work as well because i don't have any like special lighting but yeah when it's even it's that's great yeah no, you are get... even, <laughs> so uh yeah this is great uh i was Sorry about Someone's that. coming in. Oh, my fault. No problem. No problem. Now, this is this is not live. I assume we're recording. No, no, no. We're recording this. Yeah. I, have so, we begun already? Yeah, we started. Yeah, we we started. I, yeah, like like, I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really formal. I, I just kind of like try to like to have conversations and got it. Talk to people, and I've been doing this for a long time myself, so I have a lot of questions. I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, Wallace, what's the name of your musical? Wallace, Wallace and, Windsor. and Windsor. Yeah, it's a true story about Prince Edward. Yeah. It's always something I, I, I heard about and remember studying it's king, history. It's king Edward. King, oh, because he actually did become king, right? Yes, he did. He was David by name, but he became the Prince of Wales Edward. and then became King Edward right. the, the Eighth. Ah, and he, uh. He was in love. He was in love. He was in royal love. <laughs> With a commoner? Well, it's a typical, actually, it's a very hey. typical story. He fell in love with a woman that the family simply would not accept. And she just wasn't appropriate for the task at the time. But well, the family really would not receive her. It was just not allowed. You, don't, you cannot marry, a king cannot marry a divorcee. That's the law. Ah. Yeah. A twice divorce with In two case, living husbands. Divorce. So two times he couldn't marry her. And the husbands were still around. So yeah, yeah they were still alive. So okay. it was this whole messy, messy deal. Yeah. But just as an overview, just so you know, this story, the true story, the his, it, it's full of Americans and British. So we are Americans telling this story. Uh, but it's it's like a it's a beautiful um marriage actually of Britain and America of the sort of British regal, royal, energetic and music coupled with the the uh, jazz of the 30s at the time and just kind of put it all together in this, you know, fun, wonderful, entertaining story that happens now, to be history. Were, were, the, were Americans involved in, in uh, a lot in the actual story or did you was that part no, of well, Wallace Simpson is is from Baltimore. She's oh, right. American. Okay, right. Yeah. She was uh, so a, but she had a southern accent, right? She, she was a yes, southern. She was a southern girl. belle. Yeah. Southern mm -hmm. belle. Uh, but not only that, there were all these other all the all the surrounding characters. Many of them, many of her closest confidants, and many of uh, David, the Prince of Wales, close confidants were American or hybrids. They were transatlantics. His best friend Chips was. His his mother was American. His dad or his yeah, yes. It was he had a parent who was British and a parent who was American. 
Um, As did Winston Churchill. His yeah, father, Winston Churchill's mother was, his American, mother was American. And he's our master of ceremonies. He, yeah, he, he takes us through it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw that. I loved that. That was great. I, I I didn't know that I didn't know one of his parents were was American. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. his mother. So so before we get too far, like can someone just give me uh, first of all introduce yourselves and give mm-hmm. me a little bit. I I read your bios. I mean, unbelievable. You you are all so accomplished. I I I, I bow to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, why don't you tell me, uh, Christopher? So we have Christopher Caliendo. Paisan. Paisano. Paisano. Yeah. And uh, Jenny Bross, right? All of these are Italian. All of these are Italian. We're all Italian. Oh, oh you Actually, are. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> We're all Italian. Me I think, Christopher, are you all Italian? Yes, he is. All right. So he's all Italian. Our mother is all Italian. She, she's, she's Sicilian Italian. Yeah. But we, ha- our dad was Scotch German, so we got that going on too. Oh, okay. But, but, but guess what? The British royals were German, so you know. Yeah, yeah, right. We're German Scottish, so we, yeah. we really got it all covered here, pretty mm-hmm. nice. Pretty much. But I, I want to say that that uh, that uh, in terms of the the, the, the background here, uh, I would begin perhaps with uh, with with Jennifer, and then we'll go to Christopher, and you can finish up with me if you. Okay, like. sounds great. Jen, you want to to give them your your background? I will. Is that before or after I took the mushrooms? No, I'm just kidding. That was your joke before about the... (laughs) We were discussing mushrooms. (laughs) I have mushroom uh, mushroom coffee here. Mushroom coffee. You missed it, Eric. It was another another life. Um, So I am uh, Jennifer Jenny Bross. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've been a writer since forever. I started out as an actress when I was younger, and writing, uh, I thought, was just a way to give myself some more acting. But it turned out, eventually, I realized that, oh, I just want to be an act. I mean, a writer. I'm really enjoying this. So um, my mother is a, a Johnny Bross. It actually, um, our mother, our mother is, is the libretta. She wrote all the lyrics for uh, Wallace and Windsor and um, wrote the book with me as well. We worked together. And the, this is a great story. But... Essentially, um, myself, after many years of of writing uh, for uh, television, uh, films, independent films, that kind of thing, um, I guess it was about nine years ago, and I came to my mom, um, and I said, Mom, I just had this concept, but I was giving it to her. I wanted her to do it. I said, Mom, you're going to write a musical based on the 1936 abdication of the British throne, and it's going to be called Wallace and Windsor. And she said, yes, I am. And she got, it was meant to be. She got right into the research. She started writing songs immediately. My mom was, was like Christopher, very prolific and, you know, just took off. But the funny thing is the more research she did, the less she liked the Prince of Wales and Wallace, even though, you know, I mean, everybody romanticizes about his giving up the throne for her. Um, They weren't, they, to her, they just weren't the, hero and heroine she would like them to have been yeah and then so she she kind of put it down got busy with other stuff and then she saw the king's speech and then she realized that it was elizabeth and birdie who were the heroine hero and heroine of the story and and how actually you know you have to look at the whole the family as a whole this story is about two brothers it's really about uh one brother who is 
destined to be king, but doesn't really want to be king. At least he would want to be king on his own terms, but they wouldn't let him have Wallace. And Wallace was a divorced American. Mm. Now, Bertie, on the other hand, he wasn't destined to be king. He wasn't, you know, he was a nervous wreck. <laughs> and thank God he had his wonderful wife, Elizabeth, who ended up the queen mother, the mother of our current queen. Yeah. Um, they ended up being at the last minute, the king and queen of Britain, right as World War II was approaching. So it's a very so dramatic thing. About, about your background. Just All right, so my that. background. So I told my mom, so my mom started writing songs again. <laughs> Did I say enough about myself? But maybe a little no. bit more about mom too. Just you know, All right. let me talk about mom. So my mother, we grew up doing uh, original children's musical theater. I think that's why my mother had six children. And um, <laughs> she could so we company. would go around the tri-state area and we did like uh, our version of Cinderella, which was the shoe. Fantastic. It ended up uh, off Broadway and at the John Hausman Theater and just wonderful, wonderful. Um, the bottle blues. I was talking to my sister Jill today about how my mom was such a visionary. Like she was writing wonderful children's original musicals, which were like children's fairy tales combined with like Mel Brooks, you know, just funny, fast talking. <laughs> um, and uh, she was really ahead of her time. And uh, so uh, she also did other more sophisticated stuff. She's written a full, amazing musical, which I only helped with her editorially uh, called Manners and Matrimony based on uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So just my mother was a juggernaut. She started out as an actress and a model, but she never wanted to do it. She wrote the original radio commercials for Saab uh, Cars. She worked with Eddie Sauter. Uh, who was the arranger for 1776, the musical, amongst many other things. Were Malcolm, Malcolm Dodds, who's a, also a famous composer, jingle writer, who wrote... She wrote uh, Jazz is His Old Lady and My Old Man, which is in the uh, with, for, with Earl Father Hines, uh, for Earl Father Hines. Which he wrote is, the title song of the album, which is in yeah. the... Uh, the and he's in the Jazz Hall of Fame, so that's really yeah. cool. My mom has an incredible uh, background, and she, and, uh, yeah, by the way, me, real quick, said, yeah. she passed on December 10th, last December. Um, so very unexpectedly. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So Sorry. otherwise she'd be here dominating the whole conversation. And oh. we just found out literally like last month, we did not realize it, that she passed the day that King Edward. On the same day. Yes. But obviously 80 years earlier, yeah. wow. day, December 10th, very dramatic, very broad. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. You can write a out. musical about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, that alone. But yeah, wow. she passed on the wow. same day that he abdicated the crown, which was very wow. strange. Just realize so, that. So just real quick to tie it all up. So anyway, uh, about a year and a half ago, Eric came to me. Uh, well, you want to talk about that later? How yeah, this let me talk about that, my part about it. But, okay. but Jen, just talk a little bit about, about your writing background and what you've done a little bit more if you can. So I, I've written independent feature films, award-winning stuff. Um, I wrote for a PBS children's television series called The Puzzle Place. It was The series was twice nominated for an Emmy. I have some obscure credits. I have a a book at the Getty Museum Special Library collection called G Hickety Swamp Platt. That's a funny one. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, I, I've been writing my whole life, but uh, the funny thing is that this is my first musical. I, I've been working editorially with my mom for years, 
transposing her material, but um, this collaboration that we ended up having was um, a surprise to me, but a joy and it was just meant to be, so. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm sorry about your, your mom. Um, she sounds like a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, wow, it's, yeah, and it's so great that you get to continue doing this. Yeah. yeah. I'm very excited. That's, that's been one, it's been wonderful because, you know, we, we, we lost her rather suddenly very suddenly, actually, um, she'd actually sat down and she was, she'd done her final notes on the musical. She sat down, she was having her tea and she was about to, she was waiting to talk to Jennifer and she just, she, she passed. And, and we, luckily she had finished all the songs. She had written all the, all the lyrics and, uh, uh Christopher had already started writing, um, a few of the songs anyway, demos we were working on. And so we have been, you know, this is, this is sort of carry on her legacy and we've been doing it and it's been, um, bittersweet but also just wonderful and we we just know she's on the shoulder our shoulders just watching us and guiding us through yeah yeah and what about you who are you brother no let's talk to christopher put christopher in yeah yeah christopher christopher caliendo great well thank you for having us on the program Ray. thank you you're welcome very very kind of you uh um uh, I started playing jazz guitar professionally by the time I was nine. I was raised in Queens in New York City and uh, uh, really became accelerated in jazz with the black community there. And we were playing at the Hobbit's Cove, all these really cool little jazz clubs. And uh, by the time I was 14, I, I started hearing music and I uh, was kind of very curious on how to take what's in here and put it on paper. My father and mom have been together 66 years. They raised five kids and my grandmother from Italy, Bologna, and her daughter, Lucia. And so there was not much money going around to uh, to help the child prodigy. You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't really know, my father didn't know what to do with me. And I, I was I was performing uh, like an adult at a very young age. So, and thinking like one. So consequently, I, um, I, I got myself to a conservatory of music in Boston and paid for it myself through, through clamming and Patchogue Bay, believe it or not. But I got my classical training in the conservatory of music. And then um, the dean of the college knew Hank Mancini uh, out in uh, Hollywood and said, this guy belongs in Hollywood. And uh, I was very fortunate to win Mr. Mancini's scholarship, which he gives to one, um, one, one single composer out of all the UC colleges in the state of California. And uh, he was my first teacher in California. And uh, I learned arranging from him. My first job was Victor Victoria, Julie Andrews. And Ah, then I went on to um, uh, work with Barbara Streisand before he took me to CBS. And I met, uh, actually met John Wilder, the creator creator of Streets of San Francisco and um, uh, Spencer for Hire. And John's main composer was Gerald Immel, who wrote the theme to Dallas, Knox Landing. And Jerry just picked up his third CBS show. And his incumbent orchestrator, Ira Hershaw, Ira Hershig, was uh, leaving. And he needed someone to replace them. So I'll never forget uh, going with Mr. Mancini to Gerald's home in Sherman Oaks. And um, I had a cassette in those days of my music. I, I hadn't scored anything really big commercially of my own yet. That, that was recorded very well. And uh, so Gerald Dimmel, a um, wonderful man, my second mentor in, in, in arranging, uh, his wife came down the stairs and, said, and heard the music and knew it wasn't her husband's and said, gee, that's wonderful music. <laughs> I'll never forget her saying that because I, I felt like I had a chance to actually get my first orchestration job as a, as a master of fine arts student at UCLA. And sure enough, I was hired. So 
And, and I was capitulated into this, uh, being engulfed into this world where my teachers at UCLA were the same guys in the recording studios recording with these 24, 28 pickup orchestras that my contractor, Joe Soldi, who went on to be my contractor, organized, you know, at Lorimar Studios MGM. So I, I, I got my training there. And I did it for five years. I uh, worked, uh, I got an Emmy nomination for my score, The Ghost Dance, which was part of Paradise, another Lorimar production. Mm-hmm. And then in 91, I, I, I was sort of capitulated into freelancing. And um, all, all three shows left the air. And I went to Italy to, uh, well, I was infatuated with a gorgeous woman. And uh, that didn't go too well, but I ended up in Rome. And I ended up through my manager, who became my manager at the time, Giorgio Gallo, to be commissioned by John Paul II as the first American composer commissioned under John Paul. And I, I went back twice to Italy in 92, 95, and came back asking Hank Mancini, what do I do now? You know, I've got um, uh, this film career, TV career, not a film career, uh, but I really would love to get my music played at La Scala, which, is my, which was my dream as a boy, to be the next Verdi. Mm-hmm. And um, so he said, cultivate the Rome thing till its fullest extent. So... My, my career kept diversifying, and Henry always taught me to diversify yourself as much as possible, because if you can conduct and do what he did, I, he was my role model. He had the Mancini Orchestra, and from the stage, yeah. he would promote recordings, he would promote soundtracks, he would promote his arranging, his records, his flute playing, his piano playing, because he was a graduate of Juilliard, Henry Mancini. So I took on that, that role, and I became a publisher, a conductor, and I've had a very colorful life. My music's been played all over the world. Hollywood Bowl. I, I'll never forget um, the Ellie Philharmonic playing my music, which is probably the height of my commercial career when uh, 20th Century Fox celebrated his 20, 75th anniversary at the Bowl. And my music was played uh, right after John Williams' Star Trek medley. Oh. And uh, right after that was uh, Laura, David Raxon, Planet of the Apes, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's phenomenal score, Avatar, uh, Horner. So I, I was surrounded in good company then. It was a really highlight for my life. But so I, I think it, it, when I met Eric, it was quite a few years. We had this kind of on and off relationship cultivated by a, a commonality, which was our friend Stephen Paris, who, uh, whose script, The Cat's Meow, is probably his most seminal vitae, uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, one of my movies by Sony was being screened at uh, the Beverly New Art Theater, I think. Mm-hmm. No, the Beverly, the Beverly, the New Beverly Cinema, the Quentin Tarantino's theater here in Los Angeles, which has been around for ages until he purchased it to right. stay with, and now it's uh, it flourishes under him. Yeah, it's only thirty millimeter millimeter prints. They were playing um, the predecessor to the Wild Bunch by Sam Peckinpah. The director was uh, a picture called Major Dundee, and like Cleopatra in that same year, was was just a phenomenal dump. It just didn't do well. It was a very poor score, incogent script, and and a typical Sam Peckinpah story. The uh, uh, Sony actually had to send a bunch of black suits to Durango, Mexico, to tell him to stop while he was shooting his film. And he, <laughs> he turned around in typical Sam Peckinpah style and said, "Get the off the off my set, or else I'm going to finish the darn film." <laughs> and it, it didn't go well. He was ostracized from the film. But the point is, uh, Eric was in the audience and came, and we rescored it with forty of Hollywood's best recording musicians at Capitol. And uh, it went on to become uh, a very successful score, and it's being taught at. New guy at NYU because it, it, what we did was we produced the both versions of the film the, and and, a la, and you can toggle between either one to hear the difference a composer makes. Mm. So ah. for study purposes, it's really very cool. cool. Um, so the point is, Eric and I, Eric met me after the theater and, and he, he, he kept me there for like 40 minutes, I think, in front of the movie theater, but he wouldn't leave, let me go, insisting that we get together and talk about mom, Johnny Bruss. And uh, that's really how... This came to be. That was April 
last year. Yeah, April last year. So it's really hard to imagine. But so, you know, I really I really sort of succumbed to it because after speaking to Johnny and, 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 and talking with Eric and then Jennifer about the vocabularies for this musical, it makes sense to incorporate Wallace Simpson's American music of her period, the early, the nascent really beginnings of Benny Goodman in that swing era and the refined nature of, you know, the royalists who are anti-progressive, anti-liberal, and they look at Wallace Simpson as this not only icon of, of American aristocracy, but also a socialite that, that adhered to the progressive nature of the, of the, of the nascent jazz movement going on. So you have this point counterpoint that works very successfully in Jenny's story and certainly in Johnny's lyrics. So Eric and I kind of immediately agreed to that approach. So in, this, in the songs that have been written that are available at wallaceandwindsor.com, you can you can hear these vocabularies that I've nurtured uh, to represent this this iconic period, not just in, in English American history, but in um, American musical history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The music's I love the music. I listened to four, the four songs that I could, and it's really really good, excellent. Thank you. And these are demos, by the way. So you know, yeah. I can't wait to see where it ends up. With Chris. oh oh, I know, I know. And for demos, I mean, you guys are amazing. You know. Listen to a lot of them. Well, that's that's the work of, of Christopher, who really yeah. did a great job producing the demos that we have so far. Yeah, yeah. And, and and my engineer Les Brockman, who is a Grammy award-winning engineer. Uh, you know, Eric said it best. I laugh. I to this day I still quote you. I don't know if you know this, Eric, but Eric said, "You know, Caliendo, your mixes are one-dimensional, but Les's are fourth-dimensional." <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. It's so true. When you hear Les's mix, it's it's just I mean, you know, I'm not a mixer. I think I said two dimensional for you, and his are four dimensional. You're demoting yourself by one dimension here. <laughs> four dimensional, huh? I need yeah. Eric in my life. He raised, you know, he keeps me up. So, yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Eric? I I saw that you know that you met Dolly Parton. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I worked with Dolly, actually. We, uh, I did a movie a few years ago uh, that Stephen Peros, who's also producing a musical with us, that, uh, who, whose uh, movie, um, uh, The Cat's Meow, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, uh, he wrote. Uh, he also wrote this musical, uh, sorry, this, uh, this uh, screenplay called uh, um, A Country Christmas Story, originally called A Year of Grace, but then we, we kind of sold it over to, uh, to Lifetime, and they, they made it as a movie. I directed it. And uh, in the story, Dolly Parton plays herself. Uh, it's about a young African-American biracial girl who wants to sing country. She's 14 years old, and, and she's battling with her mom about doing this because her mom wants to, her to focus on school. And she ends up getting in this contest that held down in Dollywood. And anyway, that's the story. It's a Lifetime movie and and i worked a full day with dolly and she couldn't have been more professional uh and wonderful person to work with so. yeah yeah i just saw the picture i love i love dolly parton so i was well, i was envious yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah. uh so that's that's my experience working with great so what about so what's your background eric uh uh um well, my background is this. I, I, as you know, I grew up in a family of six in New Jersey yeah, with, our, right. with our amazing mom who started out as a model. And she was writing since she was a child, like three years old. And, and um, she's, when she became a model in her teens, she was going in and out of New York, out of New Jersey, which is where we're from. 
And um, she was modeling and then acting. And she was managed by a woman named Claudia Frank, who was also the manager of Tuesday Weld. And she had been in restoration theater, like Tis Pity, She's a Whore on, on Broadway. And another uh. thing, but she hated, she hated acting. She hated, so she was going off secretly and writing uh, tunes and jingles with her partner, Norman Blagman, who wrote the, the song Love Power in the movie Producer, the producers. Power, movie. power, right? And that she was her writing partner for years and they wrote songs together and they were performed by, by people like Chet, Chet Atkins and a bunch of other people. Wow. And, Chet Atkins. Yeah. Wow. Chet One of my heroes. Gosh. Oh, yeah. Best uh, guitarist wait, ever. My mom, my mom had a song um, on the Andy Williams show. That was performed, <laughs> wait, it was, it was, it was performed by Tiny Tim. Tiptoe. <laughs> knew Tiny Tim when Tiny Tim was Larry Love. <laughs> and he called up, he said, Miss Johnny, I want to do your song, The American Pioneer. And it was a children's song. And she goes, okay. And it was like, you know. She said it was the most stupid, silly thing she'd ever written about yeah. the American Pioneer. And they did this whole act and they- I wish I could find it on, I wish I could find footage on YouTube. I haven't yet. I keep looking. It was in, it was in the TV guide and everything. I think it was on the cover. Yeah. So, so this was before he before he was Tiny Tim. Well, no, yeah. he was Tiny Tim at that yeah. point. But she knew him when he was still Larry Love. Oh, oh, okay. And she said, "I knew there was something interesting. He had painted toenails and everything." She and it was something like, uh, you know, my wife and my wagon and my old cow a dragon. dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but she had also written the first uh, jingles for Sob in America, mm -hmm. and she sang them herself. Mm -hmm. She was all Don't over. Know. She introduced. She came up with the concept to spoof the car, which then Volkswagen later stole. They spoofed their own car, but she said, this is a silly looking car, let's have fun with it. And she did this whole silly voice and she created, because my mom did comedy, that was her I thing. think I remember those. Oh, I, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't, I don't know. I just remember when there were a lot of Saab commercials. I remember some that were making fun of it. This was back in the 60s though. Oh, really early then. Oh yeah, really early. Early 60s. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was just a little tight. She had worked with all these people and and normal, and then she also uh, was friends with like Johnny Mathis and like she used to hang out with all these sort of you know people in that world. And then, she, but she hated acting, and she finally just left it all, got married to our dad, had six kids, started raising us in the suburbs. But she was always writing musicals. We had people like Eddie Sauter walking in and out of our house. She was composing a a musical about about called Sutsen about the last. Empress of China. And then she, but she was always writing music and songs. She was doing a psychic album with some of the top psychics in the world in the late seventies with Norman Blagman still. And then in the eighties, when we got into high school, she said, I'm going to write these musicals, these children's musicals. So I sat down with her and started writing the music because I'm also a musician. So I wrote half the music to, and, and my brother wrote a few of the songs too, to The Shoe, which is based on Cinderella. We also did a, a the Bottle Blues based on Aladdin. And these are very sophisticated shows. The shoe is brilliant, not just because I co-wrote it. There were a couple other writers involved, but like it's played in Europe. It's It's been produced all over the place. It's, a, it's an amazing family show. Yeah. But my mother also wrote Puckamuck uh, over the years, developed a whole show called Puckamuck with Malcolm Dodds and, and, uh, and, and Eddie Haddad, which is about, you know, a retelling, a comic retelling of Midsummer Night's Dream, a musical. She then started working on a couple other things. And then she did, Wallace, uh, sorry, song for the, the Clinton, Bill Clinton's inauguration, second inauguration. Oh yeah, sorry. She wrote uh, 
uh, something for Bill Clinton's inauguration, a music that was performed by the, the, the choir, choir there. So she's really had her, her, her. So anyway, long story short, she was she's been working on Pride and Prejudice. But then, as Jennifer tells you, she came with this idea about doing Wallace and Windsor. You know the story from there. And when I heard that, I was like, Mom, you got to do that. It's a great story. But yeah. she always had a problem. She said, I'm just having trouble licking this because I just don't love them as characters. They're not heroic. And then she found the heroes in Bertie and 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 uh, Queen Elizabeth, his, his wife. And then it, it came to this. And then, of course, uh, I was, it came to the point where I finally sat Jen down and, and my mom, I said, look, I'm going to, let's produce this. I'm going to get a composer. I met with Christopher. I sat in the theater. I listened to his in, incredible score to, uh, uh, to this movie. Um, Major, Dundee. Major Dundee. And the thing is back then, you know, a score like that had to be incredibly uh, dexterous. You had to be incredibly dexterous to, to score that kind of film because themes were coming in and out. It was expected. It was part of the, 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 the matrix of the movie and, and the, and the soul of composing back then that you would keep up this kind of pace, which you don't hear anymore. It doesn't, I mean, maybe yeah. John Williams does it. You hear it maybe in John Williams music and maybe some of the other uh, scores to like star Wars, because it's a more traditional, but this is a kind of scoring that can't be done unless you have a real level of skill. And when I heard that, I heard Christopher moving in and out of different themes and these beautiful themes that he had developed. And I thought, my God, this guy's, this guy should do the musical. And I yeah. knew the, my mom wanted to work with someone who had that level of experience. and was a little close to her in age. And I thought this was a perfect match. And so I introduced them and that's sort of the background on it. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I started making movies when I was about 14 years old. I, with Jennifer, we produced, I, I made a whole bunch of little, little super eight movies and I was doing it all through, uh, all through high school. But when I was in junior high, I got the idea, crazy idea to make a, a super eight version of a Christmas Carol. So I got Jennifer on board. Jennifer ended up playing Scrooge. I ended up playing six <laughs> different roles. My other, and she's greatness. She wanted, she came, she like was all acting competition where she played Scrooge. I did all her makeup. I did everyone's, uh, everyone's makeup basically. And, and uh, I was studying makeup. I did my own and, and I did all my brothers and all my brothers and sisters were in it. My girlfriend co-produced it with me and I, I directed it and, it and we ended up making a 45 minute version in super eight of a Christmas Carol. And it's just a delight. It's really wonderful. And we, since we didn't have exteriors of London, Jenny and I devised this idea where she, cause she's a really great artist too. She did all these amazing drawings and backgrounds. And then I, I animated it. We did, we animated the exterior, the exteriors. It was very rudimentary. Do you still have it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You should put it on uh on digital and put it up somewhere and yeah i know i'm share gonna, it I'm, with the world <laughs> i will i'm going to do that uh, i just got it digitized so okay. uh so jennifer uh did all the edit did all the drawings and then i animated it and so a character would walk out of a out of a interior as a human being and then exit and suddenly on the street and they're animated and it was just it, it was just a solution to a a simple solution or maybe a complex solution to a very simple problem and it just we won this big award at the new jersey young filmmakers festival hosted by rex reed and, and john sales was and then they broadcast it on on uh, on pbs and like john sales was part of it and oh wow it was a big deal really big deal and then i went off to, to to make films in college and then jennifer and i worked together again she wrote uh, a screenplay for a movie i ended up we, we produced together called pearl 
uh, at which explores the the, the, the shot the, it in New York homeless woman. City. Yeah. It goes into her past and present day, and Jennifer played the lead in it again. And not only that, but did all the production design. Really, she's a. We're dealing with very multi-talented people here. Yeah, yeah. So and, you gave up the acting, though, huh, Jenny? Jennifer? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it. I, I well, you know, and really not until after I got married. And I just asked myself one day, do I really want to be an actress? And I, I heard a voice say no, and I was like, oh. And I never did again. I mean, I just never had any interest. I, the writing is more than enough yeah, yeah. so Good. then we finished pearl and that that was a a, a a fun little it was actually great it was an hour-long epic took me two and a half years to to get it made and we yeah. finished it and and then i got out of college and i started i met my writing partner who then wrote this movie with me ten benny which went to which starred a young actor an unknown, an unknown yak actor named adrian brody mm-hmm. ah. when we went to sundance with it and it, he later went on to we made another movie with him called restaurant this was pretty critically acclaimed. And then we did another movie with him called Restaurant, which also was highly critically acclaimed. That came out in 2000. And uh, I've been making movies ever since. I've made movies for Miramax, a little movie called On the Line with the guys from uh, Sync um, in 2000. And Al Green. With Al Green, actually, we worked with. I, I worked with, uh, with the likes of, uh, I also did a movie, a, a miniseries called Traffic. Uh, which won Emmys and was nominated for Emmys back in 2005, 2004. Oh, okay. I worked with Ving Rhames. I did the pilot for Kojak and Chaz Palminteri. And then I went on to do a bunch of other stuff. And uh, who else? Uh, uh, Civil Shepherd. I worked with. I worked with. I, I did The Boy Who Cried Werewolf for Nickelodeon, which starred Brooke Shields. So and I worked, won the DGA directors. I won a DGA award with that, that. one, yeah. So, so then, and recently, my most recent movie is this movie, Affairs of State, which is now on Hulu. You can watch it on Hulu or, or Amazon Prime or iTunes or Epics. And this stars a young uh, Adrian, sorry, Adrian Grenier from, from Entourage and Thora Birch, who is an Academy Award-nominated uh, actress from American Beauty and Ghost. Um, and David Cornesweat from... And now, da- and also Mimi, Mimi, Rod- now, Mimi Rogers... And now David Cornsweat, who's an up, a big up, up and coming star, it's his first feature, and he's in the show The Politician, and in he Hollywood. stars in Hollywood. The uh, those both those by um, by Sean, what's his name again? The, the producer of all those shows. I forget his name. Of which ones? Uh, the Politician. Oh yeah. And uh, Hollywood, both okay. those shows. He stars in both of those. And and you're the you're a producer on Affairs of State. I'm the director. I you're the, oh, you directed it. I, I directed all these movies. Yeah. Oh, that's great! I gotta definitely yeah, watch yeah, it. It's on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, and and the the, the what we're doing. I'm producing uh, the musical Wallace and Windsor, but I'm also we're doing staged readings in New York, and this is what the Kickstarter campaign's about. Yeah. We're staged readings in New York to bring investors and producers, and we're gonna do one in LA. And I'm producing and directing those. Christopher is doing the music. Jennifer obviously the writing writer, and so that's what this is all about. Is really taking. Wallace and Windsor now to the next level, but I, I have made movies. Uh, I, I'm an award-winning director producer, but I've also have a big theater background. I've written theater. I've acted in theater. I've directed theater. Uh, so, so this is really coming, it's sort of going back to my roots and now we're, we're aiming for Broadway. So that's sort of our story. Great. And, and your, I looked at your Kickstarter. It seems like it's doing pretty well. Um, so good, but we like to be doing better. We're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure time. you will. We like, to, we like to kick it in, kick it up a few notches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, are you going to do? You're going to do a staged reading fairly soon. 
Well, no, we're going to no, wait. Oh, we have COVID right now, so maybe yeah, yeah, not. We're not. This is this money right now is going towards, uh, you know, because everyone needs to live and pay their bills and, and yeah. needs to finish the music. He's about he's about a third of the way done with the music, but there's still more more to be written, obviously. Uh, it's more about development stuff and then and then money that's going to go towards uh, paying the singers, the actors, you know, paying to, 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 to do these stage readings in both L.A. and New York. Those yeah. cost, you know, money to put those up. So that's really where all the money's going. We want to be able to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. And are you all like, are, are you in, um, are you all in LA or no? I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. And Eric, you're in LA. I'm in Los Angeles. And Christopher, you're in New York? I'm in San Dimas. Yeah. I'm about 45 minutes east of LA. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh, San Dimas. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Austin, Texas. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Music. <laughs> The live music capital. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah. We're, not, we're not playing games here, man. Yeah. No, no, no. I see that. I see that. Um, yeah. I mean, putting a, creating a Broadway musical is, is a huge effort. And a lot of people don't have, have no idea what goes into it. It's incredible. The amount of effort by so many people. Um, oh, it's, it's like what's anything. interesting is that this, like the way this came together a year and a half ago, because we didn't know that my, the sands were running out for my mom, my mom and I, you know, it was like, she was busy finishing, you know, at least a half dozen songs. And I was, but we felt like we were, we were under a time pressure because we wanted to get it to Eric, to this producer by a certain date. Like we, Eric was like, okay, screenplay has to be done. The book has to be done by, you know, the end of August. And the first draft was finished in September. Um, and uh, it just came out amazingly well, but we had no idea like how precious time was. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're fortunate that you, it all worked out. Um, I mean, it's sad about your mom, but I mean, what, how wonderful that she got so much done. Yeah. Yeah. So, she's still pulling strings. She's still, uh, yeah. I, she's still there helping you. Oh, yeah. 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 So at some point you're going to have to, uh, have a choreographer too, I guess. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, but we're working with really good people. I mean, you know, paradigm, my agency has one of the biggest, uh, 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 theater departments of all the agencies. So they're very heavy in that, but also we have a great access to, uh, talent, not only through, through Christopher, through his years of working, uh, with music. And he failed to mention his, he also has worked with, uh, Neil Hefty who created the, the score of this and the, theme to the odd couple, right? Right, mm -hmm. Christopher? Yeah, the 1968 Batman, da 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 I mean, <laughs> I have quite a few da, 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 da. Quite a few. So, so uh, you know, we have really great people. Stephen Peros is also a co-producer on the, on, of the musical. Uh, worked, not only worked for the Needlelanders for, for many years, so his background, but he's also written uh, 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 theater. And, and like you said, the Cat's Meow was a... Was a, was a Wonderful. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a... a, a a play originally and he's got several plays i mean that you can walk in any samuel french store and find his stuff so there's a lot of uh a lot of experience here and and theater background and you know we we're going to be we're going to be we're going to be in good good shape when time comes you just yeah. have to get this this kickstarter yeah kicked off to get those stage readings and the music finished and all that yeah and we yeah. understand it's a tough time for people because the you know the uh uh pandemic right now but you know there's, uh, we're looking to the future here. We're looking to, uh, you know, keep theater alive and keep musical theater alive because there's going to come a time when all this is over and 
we're going to all be back and, and looking for shows Gosh. to attend and, and, and new shows on Broadway. Yeah. I can't wait. I mean, this has just been so difficult. Um, not being able to go to live theater, which I did, you know, a couple times a week. <laughs> and, movies too. And thing. movies. Oh my God. I mean, I, I go a new movie a week to movies. Yeah. It's, it's very, very strange. Yeah. There's no book, Ray, that tells you how to get to Broadway, you know, but uh, just like there's no book that says, here's how you score a movie in Hollywood. Right. But I'll, I'll never forget uh, Joseph Straczynski, who's a friend of mine. I actually lived right down the street from me in Toluca Lake. And I always go here and speak at comic book conventions. And so here I am in San Diego. And sure enough, there's always somebody in the queue who asks Joe the following question. Uh, how do you break into the business? So Joe had the best answer that defines wisdom to its it, it, it actually puts wisdom at the status of a faith. And that is, you know, it's funny about this business. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And one day I woke up and I got paid for it. <laughs> and I said, you know, there's a concept behind this that's called the concept of free. That all of us, if you're a performer, I've been paid nothing. I've been paid five grand to play, right? If, if as a composer, I've been paid over $100,000. I've been paid nothing. But you have to choose those projects that not only are strategic alliances for your career, but excite yeah. you, yeah. right? And, 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 and could possibly lead to a higher level of, of, of network and reach, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, the question I think you were trying to ask or necessitate is, you know, how are we going to do this? And uh, Eric went through a couple of permutations, but maybe Eric, you can tell the story of how you have a friend who worked in London theater and gave us a prescription that we are abiding by. If you want to tell that story, yeah, I mean, uh, really, the idea is that if, if you look at, you know, the history, really how, how musicals get made uh, today anyway. And maybe this is even going back uh, into the dark ages of the beginnings of the American musical. But what I, what I know is the, the current approach is that you do a staged reading. Uh, a friend of mine was involved on the ground floor of, of uh, In the Heights, which is um, um uh, you know the, the guy. What's his name? Lin Manuel Miranda, who wrote uh, wrote uh, Hamilton. Hamilton. That was his, that was an earlier play he did. And I, my friend, brought the producer to his staged reading. It was a shabby little place, and they had some students up there singing, and you know, someone's on the piano, and she saw it and was like, "Great!" And then another woman I know who produced a movie I later did was one of the in, initial investors of that, and that. They went and took that and it and developed it. You, 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 from the stage reading, they found the right. They got the right people to attend. Someone said, "Oh, this is something very special." It ended up going to Broadway, winning Tony Awards, and then he went on to do uh, Hamilton. So, yeah. uh, and 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 how that happens is once you get you know you do these initial staged readings where you bring in producers from from the theater world who mm. know how to connect these things and and raise the financing. And you also bring some, probably some uh, financing people in too, as she did on, on uh, in the Heights. And then the idea is then you bring it into uh, an out of town theater for further yeah. development and you put it up in the out of town theater. Jersey boys, a perfect example, started down in the La Jolla theater. Uh, here in, yeah. I think that's down in uh, San Diego, San Diego. Yeah. Right. And then there's theaters. I know and that's sort of, and there's theaters on the East coast and these theaters are all kind of, kind of incubators for, for Broadway. So that's what we're aiming for. And it could be in, we may end up in London for all we know. 
uh, as yeah. have started, we know that. And we're just very open to anything right now we're going to put up. But, but it is essential that you do these staged readings. You do them right. You, they're very specific constructs. You get the right people there. You promote it properly. You get the right people there. And then we take it to the next level. But there are yeah. many ways to skin the cat, obviously. But yeah. we're towards the correct way to do it, the right way to do it, that, that gets us the best results and gets us to run yeah, that's great. I mean, doing the, the tryouts out of town, I think, can help a lot. Like uh, theater works here in, in, in Palo Alto and the Loyola, uh, the theater in Loyola. They've done a lot of shows there, have done the, the tryouts that have ended up on Broadway yeah. and won Tony Awards. Uh, what's yeah, the one? We, uh, hey, we'll, we'll go there, too. We don't yeah, care. yeah, yeah. We'll go um, to Palo Alto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, theater works has uh, had tryouts for many, many shows. Great ones. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, um, that. we're just we just want to find the theater that is going to say yes to us. And then there we are. We're going to we're going to do it there. And we yeah. think, that you know, the thing that's great about about Wallace and Windsor is that it's so original. There's a, 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 a as Christopher was telling you about his score, which is so uh, dynamic in the sense that you're he is sort of doing this mashup of, of sort of this <laughs> 30s jazz into this sort of classical world and then going head to head. And it, it's just creating this wonderful brackish water of, of interesting musical delight. And we have, and it's funny. It's, it's exciting. It's romantic. It's and Christopher much- is like a gift because um, the concept for the show that I had was to make it like a time capsule. And here I have this wonderful composer who happens to be like an, you know, understand and know all about early jazz and he's written tangos and like, but it's like, it's like a, a very good fit. Right. Really and this, and the, 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 and to that as well, there's a wonder, we've got this incredible book and, you know, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm the most critical guy in the world. And, you know, when I read Jennifer's book to the play, I was, I was blown away. I said, this is brilliant. This is not only is it, interesting but it's also fun and entertaining and and that coupled with this amazing music and my mom's incredible lyrics it's just a winner it's just yeah i agree this this, we got like this is you know this can't lose we're like you know not wood obviously but i mean we really truly believe that this is something that is destined for broadway and not to mention the fact that it's we're not coming off of a book or a disney pre you know preset uh bit of um of, of you know material that's already been well established but we're doing something based on a, a well-known well-established historical event which yeah. has been you know produced uh on the bbc as a mini as a mini series we've seen it in the dealt with in the crown one of the biggest you know hit television shows in history and the king's speech the, the king's, king's speech i mean it is a, it is a Great subject movie. matter that has never been tackled never been approached and what's beautiful about it is that you really find out things in this in these musical numbers in the course of the show that you didn't know but it also is all elevated because it's put to music which is yeah. just takes it to a whole new level it's a great great story for a musical because it has the romantic aspects it has the international aspects it has the uh the period drama and then uh mixing it with more modern sensibilities i mean it really it really can really can uh shine i think i think it's a great great idea and it's a great concept we truly believe that we truly believe it has already a a baked in built in uh uh 
attraction uh -huh. factor or that it is about the, the history of the Royals in this particular event. And they're all people that you're going to know. And if you don't know them, you're going to find out about them. And it's, it's just fascinating on all levels. And I think Americans are, are, are I'm sorry, go ahead, Christopher. Who was that? Oh, I, oh. Yeah, I, I was just going to say for your listeners today uh, who remember uh, Ocean's 13, and Al Pacino, who was uh, opening up a, 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 you know, one of his big, big uh, Vegas hotels, casinos. It's a soft opening, he calls it, right? That's typical for Vegas, opening up Vegas hotels. And the soft opening is similar to our, our stage reading. And for those, for those viewers and listeners today, the amount of work and love and dedication to musical theater and maintaining, if not increasing or continuing its legacy is inherent in your Kickstarter pledge. It's, it's, you're, you're not just uh, pledging for, you're, you're literally pledging for English history, American history, American music, American musical theater, but there are, there are lots of awards and it's a pledge, you know, no matter how small or how large, it's conducive to maintaining the, the, the entrepreneurial and creative vigilance. Uh, this, this troop of people, and, and certainly starting with Johnny, is truly dedicated to this particular cause. And we're very transparent. You know, our site reveals the nature of the poetry, of the music, of the lyrics, uh, the, the, the level of competency and all of the people who are creating it. The creative team is, is, is in their 40s, 50s, early 60s, and we've been around the block, but we're very dedicated to it. So the investment, uh, we, we just so appreciate it because yeah. the Actors Audition will iron out the wrinkles at this stage, it'll allow the composer to do some rewrites and it'll finesse it. So ultimately, when you come to a Broadway experience and you're there and, 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 and seeing a Broadway production, uh, you're, you're leaving transformed, which is what art's purpose is to not only raise your consciousness, but raise your, raise your, the, the, the nature of your, the, the, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but the, our physical survival, art depends upon it because it, the person who's not the musician who pledges today but who loves theater and walks into this backers edition or to a concert or to a Broadway production, if we did our job right from its beginnings, we will transform them to such a place that when they return to their privacy of their homes, they will take that, that, uh, that um, iPhone out of their child's hand and they'll replace it with Flaubert or Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. They, will, they will return back with a greater vigilance to create better cash flow uh, so they well, can go I, to public well, school. <laughs> or I claw I claw I claw it. I have to give my six-year-old uh, a little I, I Claudius novel. <laughs> but they're invest in, they're investing in the integrity of, of, of really what art's purpose is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I really applaud those. There was this one young lady who donated five dollars, and that may to you or me that may be that may be worth relative to a hundred dollars of spending. But uh, we really do appreciate the the um, uh, the support. Because it allows us to do what what is in our primal nature to do, which is create art. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, I, I I completely agree with you. When you if you go to a Broadway show or any show done well anywhere, and you walk out and it sticks with you, you know, for a couple of weeks or more, and it changes the way you think about things in life and how you deal with the world. Um, I, to me, it's miraculous. Which I and I think it's the reason that I've been doing this my whole life as well. It's just uh, it's like my religion almost. <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's amazing. Well, I, tell, I tell people that if you if you talk about wanting to go to Capitol Records, stand on a podium and conduct a forty piece orchestra, talking is one thing. When you finally arrive 
and you got to face whatever nervous tensions you may have and, and God put you there. Um, when I started writing this musical, not having much of a musical theater background, the one figure, the one person in all of musical theater that kept coming back to me and interfering with my creative progress because of their iconic nature in this industry was Rex Harrison. I could not get over how powerful this man has been in terms of just speaking musical theater. I know. Like your lady. Because we have characters who really like Bert, Bertie's a stutterer. So yeah, how right. do you get around that as a composer, right? And and you, and I kept hearing Rex Harrison in my head. And, I, and you really, when you start to get to that level and you're closer to reaching a level of Rex Harrison and My Fair Lady, you begin to realize how powerful they are not only in your memory, because you're talking about you leave an experience and you can't get it out of your head, but, but how they've affected generations of composers and thinkers, creative people. Yeah. Uh, Rex Harrison is just, he, he was extraordinarily special. Extraordinarily yeah, was, special. Yeah. And you know what? That makes me think something else that's really extraordinary about this show. This show features, the, the main featured players are in their 40s, and 50s and 70s. I love you know that. Who has a big juicy part in this? The Dowager Queen. Yeah. The Dowager yeah. Queen. One of the most, yeah, she is like one of the funniest, great roles. She's funny. She's got the, some she of the has, best songs. It's a great role. Maybe you her. can get Maggie Smith. Ah! Oh! I love Wouldn't that be fun? But uh, another thing I just want to say to what Christopher's saying is, too, is that with the pledges to um, Wallace and Windsor's Kickstarter campaign, there's all levels you can go in on. But uh, more importantly, we have really wonderful awards that, that you will mm -hmm. receive depending on your level. And it goes up to certain levels where people who actually, if they put in a certain amount, and that can be found on the Kickstarter page, uh, there, we're inviting people to the, these actual stage readings, you know, either on the West Coast or New York, depending on when they happen. That's part of the package. And even there's even like, the, I think one of the top ones is we're offering up, you know, an invitation to wherever the show first comes up publicly, wherever the first, you know, the, the premiere of the actual show itself, whether oh, it wonderful. Or wherever, and we're putting that doesn't it diminish the Imperial mug. And somebody yeah, the Wallace and Windsor mug. Oh, oh, look at that. Do you have one there? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. It's not this one. It's going to replace this one. <laughs> that would be good for King George, that mug. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you do have an imperial mug, I swear. But you know, and wonderful uh, uh, awards. So it's not just for naught. You know, and I, I want to be careful how I say this because I'm not disparaging Disney, but, you know, there's the corporate musicals and they're they're wonderful entertainment and everything. But the cutting edge of musical theater and all of this kind of art is people like you, individuals who are absolutely passionate about this stuff and can't not do it. You know, your whole life is dedicated to it. You're driven to do it. There's nothing else you can do. And and you create these new forms i mean hamilton is probably the last example of something that you know blew everyone away and that's that's where these that's how these new works come about you know and so but but it takes money and it and it uh and so anybody who's thinking about the kickstarter just remember that maybe maybe you've seen lion king and, and all these other musicals and they're great but it's not uh, it's not this. This is this is the cutting edge. This is the stuff that's going to bring theater into new uh, horizons that 
you know, we'll carry on for as long as we do this on earth, you know, that's our job. That's what we, that's not only our job, it's our passion. It's, yeah. it's our lives. It's what we do. We don't do it. And I, you know, ultimately I, I always look at it like, you know, I would do this regardless, but for the love of it, we truly would. I think all three of us would. I think even you, I think you too, Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we can't live on love alone. You know, we, we have to, we have to, well, you have to be able to produce it to the level that you know it deserves. So you, because you want to see it. I want to see it. This is what yeah. I want. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You want Absolutely. To take it to the level it deserves. And, and that's the way you do it. Yeah. yeah. I think the last great cutting edge musical for me was uh, West Side Story. You're going uh, back. <laughs> what a great, I mean, maybe, maybe the best ever. I don't know. I think that the score of that musical is just amazing. Yeah. And uh, I played French horn in that score, guitar in that score. And the guitar part was ludicrous. It was almost impossible to play. Bernstein didn't do very good guitar writing, but but I loved it on my jazz, my 1969 jazz Viking guitar going da 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 da. It was like so juicy. It was absolutely delicious. Also, you get to play on that if you're playing the electric guitar. I think they have an electric guitar on Boy Boy Crazy Boy. Stay cool. What is it? Cool. Oh, sure. I mean, Stay I mean, cool. that's a, that's a big guitar number, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's so many. There's so many great guitar parts in that thing, but it was very complex to, to play. But but you know, you talk about it's a really good point because I guarantee you, if we go around the room today and talk about our three favorite pop songs of all time, I guarantee you they broke the mold. You know, a do 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 a da da da. That's all I have to say to you. I mean, give me a break. Is that fit any mold you know? But Sting and, and, and the police were so cutting it. Rush, I mean, I, Kansas, the, the bands that I think of, Jethro Tull, so innovative. By the way, can I just say, also, with Stuart Copeland, he did the score to my, uh, the drummer for the police. He, he scored my movie, um, On the Line, for Miramax. Yeah. yeah. Val Green. <laughs> and Al Green. I think West Side Story is the most recorded uh, musical score ever in terms of like you know so many people have redone west side story in so many different ways oh yeah (laughs) right i don't you know and that's that's really the sign of a classic when you get that so you know yeah yeah, i think that's a great sign i think that's that's the the test the the proof is in the pudding and that's the test of time how long does that endure for yeah, yeah. Re- reproductions of any work of art show its significant, its contemporary significance. That's why Shakespeare will always be, you know, in in the theaters. But to Eric's point, you know, West Side Story, uh, Beethoven symphonies, uh, Schubert Lieder. I mean, all these things ha- will constantly be re-recorded because of their significance. These are giants, you know, and you try to reach for that height, you know. Um, yeah. So, uh, but you know, your comment comes very interestingly, sir, because Ray, we're dealing with a 1930s piece, and we're trying to be cutting edge. So, are these two dichotomies? I mean, are yeah. they, they, Is that an oxymoron? Because you know, you're, you're really trying to stay faithful to the musical era and musical history. And I remember being very challenged by Leonard Malton, who uh, was at when Major Dundee was was shown exclusively for the critics. And Leonard sat next to me and he's watching it. And then he gets in front of the dais and invites me down and says, so, uh, Mr. Caliendo, he goes, what was it like trying to write music that sounded like 1965? Mm-hmm. And I was so thrown by that because the film is in 1865. <laughs> but he said, you sound like a young Jerry Goldsmith scoring a 1965. I said, you know, for Leonard, I was trying to actually write a score 
that served this purpose in 1865. But then I had all these Sam Peckinpah authorities telling me this is how you should write a Sam Peckinpah movie. You know, he doesn't have battle scene music. You never write music in a battle scene. Of course, I did because I felt it necessitated it. But it was a very interesting question. So where can you get cutting edge in a period piece? And I'm going to throw that to my dear friend, Eric, who's got a musical uh, ability to speak uh, uh, and a wonderful language to, to talk with. We've had many conversations. This is, a, this is a very sophisticated conversation, Eric. But where do you think <laughs> this musical could be cutting edge? And, it's, and yet it's a period piece. I, I think in, in what I said earlier is that you're taking two very disparate musical styles and smashing them together. I mean, we're not doing uh, hip hop or rap here, yeah. Uh, which I suppose would be, you know, I mean, at the time of Jerry, uh, uh, sorry, the time of um, West Side Story, what was innovative about that is they were, you know, Bernstein was incorporating jazz and the and bebop, and and that was a, a whole new thing that was introduced. Uh, into musical theater. It had never been done before. And I kind of see Hamilton as also the first musical that kind of introduces that style. Um, I'm trying to think of some other uh, examples of that. Um, maybe uh, Jesus Christ Superstar had a kind of a rock and roll vibe to it. I think yeah. that was novel too, yeah. That was I think novel. that was, yeah. So I, rock I, opera. Right, rock opera. So I think now we're... Poor Queen. We're doing something. That, the thing about the thing about Wallace and Windsor is that the the the, the show opens and you're it opens and you're in front of a thirty foot Marconi old Marconi radio uh, scrim. So so we 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 and it opens up with a uh, with the um, King Edward's abdication speech. So we take you right into we're we're, di- we're really going through the dial of the radio. Yeah, uh, sort of sucking you into the world, and then out comes Winston Churchill with a cigar. It's to be an authentic ride. I That's what I loved about the script. It was like right there, you're in it. I was so happy that you put that right at the beginning. I went and listened yeah. to it, and uh, it has a, it, it really puts you in the world. You know, just the sound of his voice and the and the bat and the recording with people knocking stuff over, and uh, <laughs> it's. Yeah, it's just it's wonderful. It was a great That's idea. The idea, really, really yeah. to pull you in, immerse you in in that era, and then I I think the the trick here, and which which Christopher is is doing so well, is really pulling the audience in on a level on levels that have familiarity, but then of course we're doing something completely different, some symbiotic in a way because it's the symbiotic. Uh, mashing together of two different musical styles, which then elevated to a whole new level and create something completely new and different. Yeah, because so I think David that's where the innovation is. Yeah, David are the king and queen of cafe society. And Christopher got this, you know, immediately that that they're living in the world of the of the 30s jazz. And it's fantastic, you know. And there's certainly parallels we can see between uh uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is uh, parallels about what's going on right now. So that's very interesting. I, I, Jen, can I speak yeah. to that a little bit? Well, all I can say is that I think there was a millennium millennial person who read the script and literally oh, thought yeah. it was about them. Oh, wow. Yeah, How wonderful. Someone, someone in the theater wow. department at my agency read the script and they said, well, 
it's really great. I mean, you're really capturing the spirit, but like, is this really the right time to be doing a story about uh, Meghan Markle? I'm like, did you not know that this was a period piece about? <laughs> and she was like, oh, I don't know how she missed it. But I think that's part of the education process, part of the process of getting people to, you know, we want them to know that you're going into an historical experience mm -hmm. here, not present day, but that the connection to the present day is so obvious and so clear that that be becomes in and of itself an inroad to anyone who might be younger wanting to understand where where this all sort of comes from. Because many of the many of these sort of dynamics that are occurring right now are very closely parallel parallel to what's uh, what happened back then. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uncanny in a way. Yeah, um, very much. So. Yeah, you know, one of the ways to add to Eric's idea on the, uh, the the this whole idea of putting two vocabularies together is such that when I was at the conservatory, we had to write 18th century fugues. We had to write in the style of the neoclassicists, Stravinsky, for example, and. We, it was a great style study, of course, because that enlarges your technique and your capability of writing. But I could try to write like Bach. It's not going to sound like Bach because this is a 21st century brain. So maybe, to add on to what Eric was saying, is that by writing music that is stylistically the 30s, but from a 21st century mindset, that's where the cutting edge will come from. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That may be where the cutting edge comes. And if we're lucky, maybe it'll revitalize a new movement for swing yeah. in that era, which would be so cool. Yeah, because you're the creative filter. I will say, I, I think so far it feels very authentic. It's great. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny. I had, I kind of got that feeling from Ragtime. Mm. Uh, um, yeah. predecessor, predecessor to swing. Yeah. yeah right, right. Exactly. Charleston. Yeah. 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 But the Andrews sisters... You know, I have to say, they, they really affected me as a kid watching Abbott and Costello. And they really didn't come till about eight years after this period. But I did borrow from them. I think Eric and Jenny know that. I, I And the Cafe Singers, that kind of harmony was very Andrew's sisters-like. And when we really hear men and women sing it finally and record it that way, it's going to pop that way. But yeah. I had a lot of fun writing in that style. It's a great sound and you don't hear it anymore. No, no. I think that people will love it. He, you know, older people will remember it, and younger people will think, "Oh, wow! What? The, what is that? <laughs> How cool!" <laughs> and, and for other, other creative people who are listening, uh, let's say I don't whether it's Jenny's role, which is a writer, or Eric directing, or myself as a composer. You never know what in your past is going to affect. Like, I, I recorded with Manhattan Transfer, and I, that sound is indelible in my head, and that that experience. Oh, it helps so much, you know, yeah. write, write, contribute writing to this experience, right? So for those listening who are up and coming or maybe take some witticisms from us, uh, it never, never uh, distance yourself from an opportunity to write in a different style. Um, you just don't know when that will affect your next got jig, gig or project. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, the concept of Broadway meeting British royalty in the, in, and thinking of like putting together the gold digger movies, the gold digger Broadway, you know, extravaganza movies the 30s, of the 1930s. You know, the they did one every year. That that was a great sort of reflection of, of how we could portray cafe society. And it just worked beautifully with Christopher and that it, it made sense. What is the gold digger uh, musical 
I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead. Series of, of musicals directed by Busby Berkeley, who's famous for his choreography on film, uh, using women almost as objects in a way to create these incredible uh, visionscapes, if you'll have it, of design and gra- and, and and geography. I'm sorry, um, uh, 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 geometrical images out of human bodies, basically, yeah. particularly women. And he was an extraordinary composer. And they did a series of movies, musicals during the Depression, from which the, the song, We're in the money, we're in the money, da 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 came from. And uh, they starred, you know, um, uh, 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 Esther Williams. I was just going to say Esther Williams, yeah. Esther Williams, but every time. in the water. Different people. Ginger Rogers, Ginger yeah. Rogers, mm-hmm. sang that song. And <clears throat> there were the gold diggers of 1933, the gold diggers of 1934, uh, Broadway Melody, mm-hmm. all these, all of these were, were all reflective of that period. And there was a very specific kind of look and feel and the yeah. music was very jazzy. It was very content. It was very um, progressive in a way for its time. And what Busby Berkeley was doing was, was in like, like never done before. And we want to try to match that feel and look in the stage presentation. Or suggest it anyway. It's exciting. Yeah, that's the American side of the story. It's sort of a bifurcated split in half and then coming together like Reese's peanut butter cups. I don't know, yeah. chocolate and peanut butter, where, you know. But it yeah. also works because Wallace Simpson was such an icon. Everybody was copying her. So, like, I had thoughts of, like, you know, Simpson clones on stage, like everybody dressed the same and trying to be like her. Yeah, it's really going to throw you back in that time and create this this kind of uh, <clears throat> world of celebrity that that existed in this sort of and and the cafe society which was the height of fashion the height of style the and the prince of wales was like a rock star a and rock they star yeah, they, were yeah. they were the they were the stars of their time they were yeah. the star couples they were the brangelina whatever you have yeah you know, of their time and that's what we're doing that's what we are taking uh, uh, t- the journey we're taking you on and but in this case it goes from a, a fun, playful romance into very serious territory where right. the world, the state, the, you know, the, 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 the freedom of the world is at stake. Yeah, the first act the is war. the war, the pending war. Yeah, Hitler. And and uh, and the fact that my mom saw uh, Wallace Simpson as a kind of a dark angel who was necessary mm-hmm. to take uh King David, King Edward, sorry, out of the picture and allow Bertie to come in, who actually was the right guy. Because if it wasn't for that, if Bertie wasn't there, Winston Churchill would have never become prime minister. And we, and he was the bulwark that stood. He was the, the wall of defense that stood against total Nazi domination. And in well, fact, and not just that, but they were afraid. They were afraid because of David's huge popularity that even if they put in the proper King Bertie, that it could have split the country right well, at the and, and, and David was a Nazi sympathizer. We found out he and after his abdication, he and Wallace went and hung out with Hitler and visited them. There's footage of there's pictures of them together. They, so they did. They, they were, you know, they were, they were people who were hanging out with, with, you know, fascists and stuff. And look, I mean, how political were they? Well, they never parlayed it into anything, but we, we don't know. The FBI was following them. There was a lot of, there's a lot of information out there now. I that don't we think they really that. understood the implications of what it meant. I think it was, they were kind of in their own little bubble and, they were not. They didn't look at it. In fact, the style of the, of the way the Nazis dressed, he thought was kind of, oh, that's kind of nice, isn't it? Because at that superficial level, 
going on there and the, in the, in, in the way he thinks. Now, we don't delve in that necessarily that deep, uh, but it's there. It's ever present. We understand the implications and it, and it comes to a head in the final song, which which uh, uh, which uh, Christopher has done that that particular song called You Do Not Get to Do That, where uh, Bertie, now having become king, his brother says, I want to come back into the country. And he says, no, you don't get my to do wife. That. Yeah, my yeah. It's, it's like you gave up the throne. That was your choice. You did not want to give her up. You don't get to come back in with your charm. And, 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 and really, he felt it was a, a national security risk to have him come back. So he stayed in the Bahamas the whole time during the whole war. Hmm. Yeah, they put him there. Yeah. Well, also, at the time, I don't think it was completely clear to everybody the menace that, uh, that was. Not entirely, but Winston yeah. Churchill knew and Bertie knew. Yeah, it was just a time where there was a ton of uncertainty. They desperately didn't want to have war, even though another war. They got through World yeah. War One. They were like, "We're not doing that." Yeah. Everyone, all of the guys in the parliament were like, "No way, we don't want a war. We're not going to fight. We'd rather we'd rather give in to Hitler. He won't do it again." And and of course, we know the famous story: "Peace in Our Time" was yeah. the sign that uh, or what Chamberlain said, and of course. He invaded Poland after that or whatever happened. And, right. and then, of course, we know the rest. Well, they, they, they made it through by the skin of their teeth. So imagine things were that precarious had we not had Bertie and Elizabeth on the throne. And they were really much more correct for that time period. I, I don't know what would have happened. Maybe who knows? Did. Yeah, who knows? That's the, that's the sequel to this musical is the what if musical. <laughs> Still surprised that Wallace that they didn't get bombed, that they survived. Like they they actually ended up with a pretty happy life for the most part. Yeah, there were issues with the fact that he couldn't come back to, to Britain, but you know, they survived. He, was fine. He, he had a good, cushy, comfortable life, but he didn't get to be king, but he wasn't fit to be king. That's but he it. was almost, you know, kidnapped. Like there were things that could have gone wrong and they didn't. And he's they're very they were lucky, actually. What do you think? Uh, how do you think that theater is going to come back in, in in light of COVID? And how are we how are we going to do this? Personally, I just think it's going to take time. It's just about getting, like anything, getting people back into the movie theaters, getting them back into onto into theaters on Broadway uh, and theater in general. I think it's just going to come with time once we um, get a vaccine in place, and then everybody starts. Uh, building the immunity to it. And we start seeing the cases drop and slowly, but surely I think by the end of mid to the end, I believe the end of the fall season of 2021, that probably will be back up and running. Well, that'd and be great. It's going to end. No, it yeah, will we'll have to there. end. Yeah. 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 And we'll be there in 2022. That's my guess. Wonderful. Yeah. God, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm, re I'm really excited. <laughs> this is great. We are too. We are too. I have Very another nice friend time. who's in the middle of producing a musical for Broadway too. So um, he's a, oh, wow. my wife's dance partner. So it's a tango music. It's a based on uh, tango, and he has some really great people on board too. Um, and so this is so exciting. <laughs> great. Well, yeah. we 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 are big believers, obviously, in bringing Broadway back and keeping Broadway alive. Yeah, yeah. I just so great, so wonderful that you're doing that. I'm so I'm so glad that you just, you know, decided to continue with this and everything. I mean, 
it could have been a different, you know, you could have decided something else. Although I don't think you, you ever would have. <laughs> us. No, that's oh, not, no. <laughs> and that's not our mother. You know, our mother taught us better than that. And yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. carrying on this. I mean, if anything, we're even more driven now. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Thank you, and thank you for driving your audience for us, Ray. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Ray. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it's been, it. Like, it's really fun and it's really great to get the message out there and, and to be able to spread the word and, and to talk of just in general, to talk about theater and pe let people know that, you know, there's still people like us out there who uh, believe in the dream and believe in, the, in, in Broadway still and, and believe in, uh, in living theater and, and, yeah. and uh, continuing that great tradition and, and also at the same time pushing the envelope. I know. I mean, this is this has been so uplifting for me just listening to you because um, you're still so on fire about it and you haven't let this current situation, political or the pandemic or anything affect you. And you're just pushing on. And I love it. And you're so hopeful but and this is optimistic. What life is about. Yeah, that's what Winston Churchill said. Never give up. Never. Yeah, give up. Never. We'll fight him yeah. on, we'll on the sea. And Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. I love Teddy Roosevelt. Love Teddy. I love I love the bear guys hunting. Who, I love the guys who rose to the occasion under adversity and, and, and came out on top. And that's who we are. That's what we're doing here. Right on. So we'll great. Him. We'll get him yeah. in the end. We'll beat him. We'll beat the blue meanies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is made my day. Three o'clock with uh, a hopeful affiliate partner and sponsor of the head of the Steve Covey School, which is a huge school in the corporate world. But I, I just want to let you know, I'm on three. I've got to dip out, but you guys continue, of course. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. I have to bring my my son to go get a uh, COVID test because he has oh. some symptoms. Ooh, okay. Oh. <laughs> what is his name? Uh, his name is William. How old is he? He's we'll eighteen. 18. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure he's okay. I, uh, I, I believe he will be. Yeah. Anyway, but, but listen, thank you so much, Ray, mm -hmm. for having us on and, and spreading the word. And, you know, we're happy to make sure you have the, uh, the uh, Kickstarter campaign links and the website. Yes. I think you got all of them. And if you could, uh, you know, let people know we're here and we are, our campaign runs until October 17th, Christopher. Yeah. Yes, and it's over. And, you know, as, as always with Kickstarter, if we don't reach our goal, we're trying to raise 38,000, which is the, okay. that was the finishing of the musical, the, the further development, and then to get us to the stage readings on the East Coast and the West Coast, that uh, if we don't reach our goal, then we we have to, we, if we don't reach that goal, then everyone's money gets sent back to them. So we, yeah. we need to reach it. We do need to get there. And so uh, if the you- pledge. If you can complete, yes. if you can please. Play, Every little bit. Any oh. amount that you can afford, right? Anything you can afford. Yeah. We'll be yeah. happy to, to take it. We appreciate it. Well, I will put all the links on the video and uh, the podcast notes and um, promote it wherever I, everywhere. So thank you. Right. you bet. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. And oh, send my pleasure. Way. We'll promote your show and this okay. show and your show on our Facebook uh, pages as well. Actually, okay. Ray, said, do you have a you have a logo for the podcast? Send me whatever yeah. you have. We'll put it as an affiliate partner on our yeah. website for you. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. And if you, if you belong to a culture of podcasters, I'm not sure how that works, but if you know another podcaster that would warrant our our type of project on their site, please let us know. Thank you. I, I actually uh, there's a Facebook group I'm a part of that does that, so I will put it put it up there. 
Oh, thank awesome. you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That great. Mm -hmm. That would be so, so great. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Eric has my email, but maybe Eric, you can send and then Ray, send me your, your logo and whatever you want, your preferred contact information. Okay. And I'll put it up there for you. Absolutely. It would, it would be great if you could get on like Mark Marin or something, one of you. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Definitely could. Yeah. Okay. Oh, your lips your we'll be happy to go. Yeah. What's that? I'm sorry. I said, if you can put a good word in for us, we'll, we'll do it. We're there. I'll send him an email. Thank with, you. With wow, yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. Thank you. thank you so much. You really. bet. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk thank to you soon. You, I hope. Keep, thank you, Ray. All right. Thank take you, care. Ray. Thank you for this and, and uh, keep Broadway alive. Wallace. Yeah. Kickstarter. Keep Broadway alive. All right. All right. Take Kickstarter. Yeah. Okay. Wallace right, bye -bye. and Windsor. Wallace and Windsor. Victory. 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 I have heard y'all to Scarlett O'Hara's tenacity and strength. Praises sing. Well, honey child, she's a bell in a book. Well, I'm the real life breathing thing. I am that southern to leave your king but you threatened us and released my bell from hell my bell my bell my bell you've released my bell from hell and for every sign carrying crazy a thousand stand with us of his life married to men